You're listening to Love, Maine Radio with Dr. Lisa Belial, recorded in the studio of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Dr. Lisa Belial is a physician trained in family and preventative medicine, acupuncture, and public health. She offers medical care and acupuncture at Brunswick Family Medicine. Read more about her integrative approach to wellness in Maine Magazine. Love, Maine Radio is available for download free on iTunes. See the Love, Maine Radio Facebook page or www.lovemainradio.com for details. Now here are a few highlights from this week's program. And if you don't have an answer right. to something, you know, wait a little while. Mm-hmm. Just relax. It's, they talked about that. It'll come to you. Just relax and wait a little while yes. and lo and behold, you know. Exactly. It's the best part of life, really. You know, in the end, when you're young, at least for me, when I was young, it was, you know, there was a lot of ambition and, you know, a sort of, in a way, saving myself. But uh, as I get older, um, you know, that's really where the joy and the satisfaction is in, in the relationships. Love, Maine Radio is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Apothecary by Design, MacPage, and Berlin City Honda of Portland. This is Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to Love, Maine Radio, show number 207, Cabin Building and Brotherly Love, airing for the first time on Sunday, August 30th, 2015. Lou and Paul Urenic have been part of the Maine community for several decades in very different ways. Paul has worked in construction management, helping orchestrate projects such as the Portland Museum of Art, Winslow Homer House Restoration, and Thompson's Point Redevelopment. Lou is a writer and Boston University professor who worked as the deputy managing editor at the Portland Press-Herald for many years. In 2001, Lou wrote about his experiences with Paul in his book, Cabin, Two Brothers, a Dream, and Five Acres in Maine. Thank you for joining us. It isn't often that I have the opportunity to interview um, a set of brothers, a set of sisters, a set of siblings of any sort in the, on the radio show, and today I have that privilege. Um, today I have with me Lou and Paul Urenic. Lou is a former Neiman Fellow and editor-in-residence at Harvard University. He is a professor of journalism at Boston University now. He is deputy managing editor at the Philadelphia Inquirer and editor of the Portland Press-Herald. His writing has appeared in numerous publications, including the New York Times, the International Herald Tribune, Boston Globe, and Field and Stream. A former Fulbright Fellow, Uranic is the author of Backcast, which won the National Outdoor Book Award for Literary Merit, and Cabin, Two Brothers, A Dream, and Five Acres in Maine. His latest book is The Great Fire, One American's Mission to Rescue Victims of the 20th Century's First Genocide. Lou's brother Paul moved to Maine in the 1970s when he was asked to help build a post and beam home on land that Lou bought in New Gloucester. The home took three years worth of Sunday work to build. After that, Paul got involved in construction and eventually moved into a construction management position at the Bolus Company, where he has been part of many notable projects, such as Pineland Redevelopment, the Winslow Homer Home Restoration for the Portland Museum of Art, Allagash Brewery's Evolving Development and Expansion, Backyard Farms Research and Development Center in Madison, and the current Thompson's Point Redevelopment. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for having it's us. Great to be here. Thank you. And these were just uh, these were 
smaller versions of much more work that you both have done. I could have actually spent the entire show just talking about the stuff that you each have done for the Portland area and the world at large, I guess, let's just say. So we're very privileged to have you here today. Thank you. I'm, I really enjoyed reading the book Cabin, and in no small part it was because um, of the brother aspect of all of this. Now, Lou, you were going through some significant transitions in your life when you decided to build this cabin, and it's it was an interesting and um, sometimes a difficult book to read from that standpoint. Talk to me a little bit about what was happening in your life. I I undertook the the cabin project really as a kind of healing project. Um, As you say, transitions. I had lost a job. Uh, I had uh, some years earlier gone through a divorce and was still reverberating in my life. And um, um, our mother had died some years earlier. So there was a, a lot of tumult and turmoil in my life and so I was looking for something that I could take on that would engage the better part of me something positive to do and I had always loved the outdoors it's you know part of what brought me to Maine many years ago and it's been an important part of my life so I played with several different ideas about traveling to somewhere or doing something else and and um, I decided the thing I really wanted to do was build a cabin and uh, it was a uh, fantasy in a way, really. And, and I'm not really capable of building a cabin by myself. So fortunately, <laughs> I have a brother who is. So uh, I had this uh, idea, this dream, and I loved that part of Maine, Western Maine. So I bought the land. Paul and I went up together and looked at it. And uh, Paul concluded that it was a you know, good place to put a cabin. Uh, and so um, I got a good deal on it, and uh, we, we started uh, building uh, later that year. So it would have been 2008. Um, so that's how it began. And it's interesting to me, Paul, because you didn't start the book uh, in, in the story. You didn't start as having been going through transitions yourself necessarily, but by the end of the book, you were going through your own set of transitions. Correct, correct. So this seemed like kind of an important thing for you both to be doing at this period of time. Yeah, you know, I guess um, I guess life is really just a series of transitions when you look at it. And, um, you know, the cabin was a, a project where the two of us could be together, could work together. We could bring other family members involved, mainly my children, who all lived locally and they all love working with their hands, etc. So, you know, what do you do when you have transition in your life? You, you know, I think you revert back to family and to those things that are anchors in your life and you bring them together and those are your rudder. Yeah, absolutely. And it was a great, I don't know, salve, solace to me to be, to be with Paul through this and his sons. Uh, who would come out and, and, and you know, lend a hand. Um, one of the boys in particular, Kevin, turned out to be hugely important to the project. He worked with me on the frame of the cabin through the winter, you know. Absolutely insane that we were building this thing through the winter, but that's, <laughs> that's the way it happened, and I was too eager to delay despite Paul's advice. So we, we went ahead, we began in the project in, a, in November, can you believe that? And we were putting up the frame uh, in 
the winter, in the teeth of a Maine winter, it's snowing, you know, each weekend I'd go back up there with Kevin and, and Paul and, you know, we'd have another six or 12 inches of snow on the deck and we'd have to shovel it off and broom off the beams and so forth and uh, and get to work but actually it was it turned out to be a lot of fun you know winter is a great time to be outdoors the air is crisp and clear the sky was blue and you know we'd build a fire we'd cook some lunch you know hot dogs or whatever uh so even though it was a little nutty uh it turned out to be a lot of fun and it sure was a great uh joy comfort to me to 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 be with paul and kevin and and his other son paulie uh and occasionally andrew a third son uh, a very capable young man would come along so yeah we were having a, our own we were sort of having our own work party i had i had teased lou during that part of the project because concurrent with us building it he was um also writing a blog for the New York Times <laughs> on the um, on, on the building of the cabin and I had said to him this is the first time a schedule of a construction project for me has been driven by the need for you to write something <laughs> to get into your weekly blog so exactly. that is what's kept us on schedule his need to keep the blog updated for the times um, that's right we had we had <laughs> we were dealing with the cabin and we were also dealing with my uh, my need to file two or three times uh to the new york times and so i described the ascent of the cabin uh for the new york times over the course of the year and that that turned out to be fun too and we had pictures of all of us you know uh, as part of that, but you're right. That was that was pretty funny, um, and so you know, people all over the world. Actually, I had forgotten about yeah, that. Right, people right. all over the world were uh, experiencing this cabin going up, and it was not without disasters. I mean, we screwed things up. Things fell down. You know, at one point, I hadn't sufficiently, I guess, braced the uh, the roof trusses and it's a very windy place we're up on a hill and the roof trusses blew down it was a complete disaster I just wanted to walk away from the whole project when I saw that one spring day spring of 2009 I guess <clears throat> but Paul and Kevin um, you guys I was amazed you guys went you know it was like hey this is great we can solve this problem I was ready to shoot myself and Paul and Kevin went to work and they untangled the rafters and pushed the walls back together and we found a way to swing these very heavy trusses back up into the into position um so even that worked out but we shared that <laughs> with with the world via the new york times you know the catastrophe of the rafters i would think that this is something that's not that foreign to you paul having something happen that right. during construction that wasn't what you expected and just having to deal with well that. that's what you know construction is is um you know, no matter, and I've been in, you know, I've been involved in very, very simple projects to very complex multi-million dollar projects. And I don't care what team of professionals you have, how much planning you do, um, there is something that's going to go wrong. I mean, that's, that's just the way construction is. Uh, you know, you try to limit those things as much as possible. But um, 
but you know, in construction, they don't call them problems; they call them opportunities. <laughs> well, we had a lot of opportunities, that's you know? for sure. And uh, so, you know, you figure it out. But it's it's you know, it's good to get out from behind a computer, get out of the office, and those things, and you know, to use your hands and use your brains to you know solve something physically, and 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 hopefully physically with using your brain and not your back you know to you know correct the problem so it's fun and it's and it's and it's all a it's teamwork it's a collaborative thing and Lou was mentioning my son Kevin he you know he puts a tremendous amount of thought you know he'll, st- he'll, he'll look at a problem for five minutes and not say a word and then he'll approach the solution to it so you know there's uh, there's some good interaction that goes on yeah, between. Not right. everybody agrees. Not yeah, everybody agrees sure. on the right. best way to solve a problem. But, you know, you work it out and say, okay, let's do this. And, you know, Kevin has something that, and Paul has the same quality. I completely lack it. And that's this uh, ability to understand space relationships. You know, some people can look at a box and kind of turn it in their mind and say, well, what would that look like if it were turned sideways and, and or, or unfold the box in their mind? And it turns out that that is a good quality to have if you're building something because you have to think, well, how would I fit that into that and so forth? I don't have it. And um, so Kevin in particular, he was great. He saved us a lot of time and effort by thinking these things through, sort of turning the box in his mind. Um, as you know as we build things and you're right there was you know there was disagreement along the way and we worked it out you know when I started the cabin I had a pretty firm idea of how I wanted the interior space and I was gonna have a writing room you know which was a ridiculous idea you know another fantasy as if I were gonna go up there and sit in a room inside a cabin and write but anyway that this was part of the fantasy and my nephew Paulie Paul's son um, said uncle louie no way this is this cabin has to be wide open it has to be open space it's a family space we're all going to be together nobody gets behind the door to write a book you know and um and i said no paulie i'm not sure i think i could use a place where i could no no he insisted and he started citing cabins that we had been in in the past there was a cabin in particular in arusta county we used to take the boys to southern arusta county for three or four days every fall around Thanksgiving for a deer hunting trip. Nobody ever shot a deer, I think, but in any event, we used to stay in this cabin, and and Paul, you know, he was described, Paulie was describing that cabin, and so he made the argument, and he was right. So there's no, the, the interior space of the cabin is fully open. It's communal family space. There are bunk beds against the back wall, and you can, if you're sitting in the the eating area you can see the bunk beds and if somebody's playing poker at the table it's it's all wide open so we work these things through you know as a group as we uh, as it went up now i'm wondering what it must have been like paul for you to have this brother who his job is really making constructions out of words and ideas and you know his way of dealing with problem is is editing sentences and you know helping create storylines versus buildings I mean, you both are very creative individuals, but your brains work in very different ways. You're right. You're right. So, what was that like for you? I think you? I drove them crazy a few times. Yeah, that's it's it's funny you mention that. Yeah, um, because 
you know, a writer will write a draft of a story, he'll correct that draft and, you know, write another draft and perhaps another draft and, you know, keeps working of it till you get to the final product. In construction, it doesn't work like that. You don't, you don't <laughs> cut a two by four once and if it doesn't fit, you grab another two by four and you right. cut it again. What do you mean you don't do that? And, you know, you do this and, you know, um, so our minds did work like that. Uh, we did work differently because, you know, I'm, you know, the field that I work in, it's, you know, the, the construction of a project is the easy part. It's, it's the planning that you put into it so that you only do things once. Or was it, uh, you know, was it Ross Perot or whoever? He said, you know, uh, measure twice, cut once, you know. Yeah, right. uh, <laughs> so, so we do come from two different worlds where my world is basically put a lot of thought into it, only do it once. Lou's world is, well, you know, it's let's, a draft. Let's you try know? it and see if it works. I can, you know? I can think of one example where, Paul, I think you were ready to leave the job. We had uh, erected the frame, and we had even sheathed, put the out exterior wood on the frame. So now it's you know beginning to look like a closed-in box. And, you know, the next step is sort of moving toward finish, where you put the, you know, the nice finish on the outside, the wood, pine wood, and so forth. And so I was inside sitting down, and I noticed that when I sat... I couldn't see fully out of the windows. And I thought, you know, it's important. If I'm going to sit in this cabin, I want to be able to get a full view out of the window. I don't want to see the windowsill. I want to see the woods. So I said to Paul, you know what, I, I, I think we need to, to do the windows over again because they're too high. And he said, what? What do you mean they're too high? I said, well, when I look out the window, I, don't, I see the windowsill. I don't see the trees. And he said, it's too late, you know, I mean, we've already framed it and we've sheathed it. And I said, yeah, I know, but I'd like the windows to be lower. Couldn't you and, just get a higher chair? Yeah, <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. You know, that, that's a good solution. Uh, but anyway, so um, there was a slight hiccup in the progress at that point. Ultimately, we lowered the windows and we got through that. But I think that's a good example of, yeah, you know, I yeah. was sort of, hey, let's, Let's build it and look at it and see if we like it. And if we don't like it, let's build it again, you know. So having worked through this process and gotten the windows that you wanted out of it, what did that, what did that do for you? What did that bring right. to your life on a sort of a smaller and a bigger level? Yeah, you know, uh, for me, um, and this is sort of how I relate to the world, I guess. You know, the cabin, I hate to use this word because it sounds so fancy. I wish I could think of a better word, and I'm sure there is one. But... It's a kind of aesthetic experience, you know, um, you know the, the pleasing design, the being in of it, things working the way they should work, and uh, spatially and design-wise and so forth. So the fact that the window is lower and I can see out, which is what I wanted to do, makes being in the cabin a much more pleasurable experience for me. You know, there's no television in the cabin, there's no radio. Um, there's no internet. Um, you know, this is a an experience of being inside a well-built cabin in a pleasant location. So the windows were part of that, <laughs> believe it or not. Getting the right slope of the roof and, you know, the right feel inside, all of that was part 
for me, of the enjoyment of being in the cabin. So the windows were important. I just should have thought about them earlier. <laughs> no, I, I, I hear what you're saying, and I think most of us who have been through construction projects have had those sort of moments right. where yes. we, what do we give up and what do we hold on to? Right. Paul, when you were working through this process, you, you almost kind of threw up your hands and said, well, just forget it that I'm leaving. How were how you able to come to a, a good enough place that you were able to lower the windows and help your brother be happy? Well, you know, in my job in, in managing projects, as um, small projects, large projects, um, you learn, as I said earlier, the construction is the easy part. What I consider the more important um, part of my project is managing people. Um, on larger projects, you know, I've got architects, I've got engineers, I've got attorneys, I've got city regulatory people, got a whole, and everybody kind of has their own vested interests. So, you know, you need to learn how to manage people. And, and in this project, you know, um, while it was truly a family project, et cetera, et cetera, I, but really it was Lou's project. You know, it was his cabin, he wanted to build it, and you can't get hung up on those things. If you want things to move forward, you just have to let go. <laughs> and you have to look at the bigger picture. And, you know, I go through this a lot You're with... You're being very philosophical. I'm impressed. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you have to do it. You have to, you know, right. you just have to let go, and if you want things to move forward, you know, you can't argue about it. You just say, okay. You know, if that's what you want and you feel that strongly about it, let's just do it. Let's just get it done with and we'll move on and keep going. Right. Well, I think the hindsight that you're describing is very valuable. And I also wonder if, as you're going through and you're blogging about this for the New York right. Times and you're sure. having on a day-to-day -day basis these conflicts and you're actually writing about the people that are in your family that are helping you right. out, yes. that must have been a very interesting situation to be right. in because you couldn't be philosophical in the no, middle of it. No, that's right. Yeah, and you know, the blog for the New York Times was practical. It was, it was, it was less about the relationships. I saved all of that really for the book. The book is is a book really about relationships. You could build a cabin probably if you carefully read the book, um, but it's not a cabin guide, you know. Um, but the blog was. The blog definitely was uh, step one, step two, here's how we screwed up step three, we're gonna go back and do two again and so forth. Uh, and I think one of the best entries in the blog was the final entry in which I tried to capture construction lessons. You know, what did I learn about building a cabin that you ought to know? If you're an amateur the way I am, and, um, you know, not fully handy in the world of construction. Uh, and so I, I think I made a list of 10 or 12 things. And it may have been the, 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 the most um, useful. It, it, it's, in the, it's in the New York Times blog. People can, by the way, I, I, I'm astonished. The Times has archived it. If someone were to, you know, Google New York Times, you're in a cabin, that whole thing would come up. Um, and, you know, I, for example, one small lesson is start accumulating your materials long before you're doing the building. We would get to a point, Paul would say, well, where are the windows? And I'd say, well, I haven't bought them yet. What do you mean we haven't bought them yet? You know, we're here to put the windows up. Or another important thing is, uh, you know, get materials delivered to the site 
as you need them. You know, otherwise you're doing what we did, which is bringing material up a snowy driveway for, a, you know, a thousand feet, which is like, you know, next to impossible, but we did it. Another one that I remember was, um, you know, figure out how much help you have and then design the cabin to fit the amount of help. There's a one-man cabin, there's a two-man cabin, you know, in terms of construction. There's a three-man cabin, and... Um, what you the scale depends on how much help you can get so they're all those are all things to think about before you start of course i didn't but i was able to make the list at the end anyway at least i learned something what i was very much struck by in, in, in reading this book that you had written was i guess the fact that working with your hands somehow enabled you to process some pretty significant grief I believe mm-hmm, right. over a life that sure, you were in right. the process. You're right about that. That's right. Leaving, and get got me out of my head. You know, you know, ideas and feelings can just spin, spin, spin around. And um, uh, for me, a, a, a good way to get traction, you know, to move forward and to be positive is to do something, to go into action. And uh, and so the cabin, it put me in action and then of course any project you know building a boat building a cabin whatever um, you're looking forward what's the next step when will I finish it how will I use it after I finish it so whether you planned it or not you're looking ahead and not back which is a more positive way to live your life so, you know, if you find yourself getting depressed, you know, some of that can be I'm stuck in the present or I'm stuck in the past, but a project projects you into the future. Well, do you mind if I read a few sentences? No, go right ahead. Thank you. Happy that you are. In the 22 years that I was married and living in Maine from 1974 to 1996, I built a house, a career, and a professional reputation. I had moved from being the most junior reporter at the newspaper in Portland to its editor-in-chief. My life in those years had been a steady professional ascent. I was not famous, but I became a substantial person in my field. I worked hard, stayed late, and went into the office on weekends. I was invited onto the boards of community organizations and asked to make speeches. I took my family on vacations to Florida, put my children through private schools, and owned a sailboat. I bought my wife a piano and my daughter a horse, and I took my son fishing in Canada. I made an identity as a husband, father, and editor. Eventually, it all came undone. And then you go on to describe um, your mother, actually, and the way that her life, that she had built a life herself, and it had all kind of come to its end. And it is very striking to me that not only had your life come undone, and from that you're building a cabin, but then, Paul, the same kind of thing happened to you. Lou didn't talk that much about your Mm -hmm. personal life, but he was describing a life that you had built for yourself, which was all very much revolving around family and providing. and, And then somehow that had to be deconstructed as well. And I think that many of us in the middle of our lives go through these dramatic deconstructions and the need to rebuild. And I'm, and I'm wondering if, I guess, if physically constructing something enabled you to, I guess, spiritually and emotionally construct something as well. I think it does. Um, You know, it's, you know, life can become complicated. And when you have those periods in your life where you're you know, your mind is going in a million different directions, et cetera. When, 
when you can direct it to something concrete, you know, it takes you out of that. Uh, you know, once again, you know, you need to cut a two by four and it needs to be, you know, six feet, five and a half inches. Um, you know, you're focusing on something and as you build that, you know, your mind, it pulls you out of, um, you know, it pulls you out of kind of this malaise that you're in. So, yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think getting involved in, in, in any type of hands-on project when when your life is kind of in uproar kind of helps you come back and focus and, you know, gives yourself a little bit more of an anchor, etc. Um, you know, I'm, as, as I'm thinking about this, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about even before, actually just before I came to Maine, you know, I had gotten out of college and, you know, my life was going through a lot of changes and what am I going to do there, right, this, right. that, and sure. the other thing. I remember that. And, uh, you know, Lou had sent me the book, you know, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Love that book. And at the, at the same time, I had bought an old 1955 Chevy pickup truck and it was, you know, trying to figure out what I was to do. And my project at that time mm -hmm. was to take the engine out of that truck, which I had never built, rebuilt an engine before, but I got a book and said, okay, you know, and rebuilt an engine to an old pickup truck and drove it to Maine. And it was sort of like a similar experience, you know, mm -hmm. helps you focus on a project and put your hands to something and you know, it's a uh, it's a reality. You know, it's something physical you can get your arms around. You know, I'm glad you rem you remembered that book. I just that's such a great book, and you know, that book is it really is sort of about all of this. You yeah. know, it's it's about uh, um, getting involved in the process of doing things to kind of save your life. And it's a beautiful book. And, and if you don't have memory. an answer to and if you don't have an answer right. to something, you know, wait a little while. Mm -hmm. Just relax. That's, they talked about that. It'll come to you. Just relax and wait a little while, That's and lo and behold, you know. Exactly. That's right. A little light will go off a couple, three days later, and hey, and, and at the go. and at the end of it, if you're still depressed or whatever, you've got an engine. <laughs> or you've got a cabin, right? You know, so you're still ahead of the game, there you go. <laughs> right? There you you go. can drive your old pickup, or you can go to your cabin, right? So you've you've gained that, if nothing else. Love Maine Radio is brought to you by MacPage, an accounting and management consulting firm that believes the path to success is paved by their ability to build lasting, meaningful relationships with their clients. MacPage, accessible, approachable, and accountable. For more information, go to macpage.com. Love Maine Radio is brought to you by Berlin City Honda where the car buying experience is all about easy. After all, life is complicated enough and buying a car shouldn't be. That's why the Berlin City Honda team goes the extra mile by pre-discounting all their vehicles and focus their efforts on being open, honest, and all about getting you on the road. In fact, Berlin City recently won the 2015 Women's Choice Award, a strong testimony to their ability to deliver a different kind of car buying experience. Berlin City Honda of Portland. Easy. It's how buying a car should be. Go to BerlinCityHondaME.com for more information.
There was a time when the apothecary was a place where you could get safe, reliable medicines, carefully prepared by experienced professionals, coupled with care and attention, focused on you and your unique health concerns. Apothecary by Design is built around the forgotten notion that you don't just need your prescriptions filled, you need attention, advice, and individual care. Visit their website, apothecarybydesign.com, or drop by the store at 84 Marginal Way in Portland and experience pharmacy care the way it was meant to be. At the end of all of this, you started working on the book that I have in my hands right now, The Great Fire, One American's Mission to Rescue Victims of the 20th Century's First Genocide. So it's it's interesting to me that you went from building a fire to talking about a genocide and a, a, right. building a cabin to talking about a genocide right. and a fire. And it's almost like you had to... I don't know, in story form, you had to see something completely burned to the ground and horrible, horrible <laughs> oh, things geez, happen. I have, yeah, you're giving, and, and then, giving my subconscious more credit than it deserves, I think. Um, well, the first two books, the uh, Backcast was my first book, and Cabin are both memoirs. You know, they're personal books about members of my family, people that I'm very close to. The first about my son and, and second about Paul. The third book... Uh, uh, which you, that you have in your hand there, The Great Fire. Really, it's a different kind of a book. It's a historical narrative. And um, it's an important story. It's a story that I wanted to tell. And it challenged me uh, as a writer and as a researcher in an entirely different set of ways. And so a little bit, it's like learning to build a different kind of structure. Um, you know, if those first two books were let's call them shelter or cabins, you know, this one is more of a cathedral. You know, this is a more complicated writing project. The first two are more deeply felt, you know, personally, but this, this book is a, um, a big canvas with dozens of characters telling a very important and complicated story about an American who saved the lives of a quarter million people in the uh, first genocide of modern times, the genocide that killed three million Christians in Turkey back in the 1920s, the teens in the 20s. So different kind of project, lots of satisfaction um, from having, quote, built it, um, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm proud of it. Um, uh, so thank you for mentioning it. It's been quite a few. It's it's a it's a tome. Mm -hmm. So I must say I spent quite a few weeks. Yeah, it's, actually, a, it's a big one. Right. Actually reading it, and um, you know I learned a lot from it. Actually, I didn't realize oh, that great. this was. I, I I didn't know anything about this part of history. Well, you so, and the rest of America. Yeah. Right. So right. I, I think that this is, and for me to hear a story that's a real that really happened is um, there's something about it that I don't know fills in a piece of patchwork in my brain somehow and somehow it picks up a thread that will somehow get connected to something somewhere sure. else. Oh yeah, this was a seminal period in American history. It's when oil became an important part of our foreign policy. Um, it, um, it was a big period of transition in terms of the kind of country America was and, and our response, the official American response to the genocide and the burning at Smyrna, the fire at Smyrna, is not something we can be proud of, but we can definitely be proud of the private Americans, uh, and, it, and especially one a, a naval officer uh, who acted with great courage and, and uh, you know, a, a moral um, force. So, um, 
It's a it's it's an important piece of American history that I think that more people should know about. It's I think of it as one of the great stories of an American hero that hardly anybody knows about. I also was struck by the fact that um, there are so many different sides to war. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And to conflict, and yeah, there's so right. many different human aspects of things that maybe For we sure. become right. immune to because the horror of it is just incredible. And this was particularly horrible, you know, because the victims were civilians by and large. You know, these were defenseless, and 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 they were often women. Rape was a weapon of war you know, on the part of the Turkish army. So it was a particularly horrendous, people were burned alive, and, uh, you know, very, very bad things happened. Uh, and that's all dark and gloomy. The, the, the ray of light here is that somebody came forward and made a huge difference. And, you know, and he did it out of a sense of religious service, of wanting to help people, and so all the right reasons. And he saved many, many lives. Well, I must say it was it was good that it was summer when I was reading this <laughs> because I would I would pick my head up from the book and the sun would be shining. That's good. Because you're right, it, it was it was a tough. It was some tough. parts are pretty tough. It was right. pretty hard, but you're right that this is the um, the hope aspect of it. I think also came through, and it and it does. It makes you aware that one person can really have an impact. And as I'm looking, Paul, at the work that you've done around Maine. Lou said before we got on the air, he said two things. He said basically you have helped build modern Maine, and he also said for me to tell everybody that he's better looking than you. <laughs> so <laughs> I've done both of those things. You don't, you don't have to rule on that. Yeah, you know, but I, just... I still have people have See, this is a radio interview. <laughs> right? Right. I'm, I'm afraid that you might rule in the other direction, well, so you can be silent on I, that I'm one. I'm going to say nothing. People can look at the picture. We'll put it up on the website. You can make that decision. But I do think it's interesting. You've done work with um, Pineland Redevelopment, Winslow Homer, the Home Restoration for the Portland Museum of Art, Allagash Brewery, Backyard Farms, Thompson's Point. I mean, you're actually building sort of the new story of Maine, which is amazing. Correct, yeah. Having lived here myself for such a right, long time, right. what you're doing is there's there's something, there's some thread that you've picked up yourself that you've helped. Be yeah, part of. I've been I've been I've been very fortunate with that, um, and really, kind of all of the current goings on, interesting going on, interesting goings on around. Greater Portland or Maine in general, um, I've been lucky enough to get involved with them. Um, you know, I think why, um, you know, I've been doing this work now uh, for, you know, 30, close to, close to 30 years this, this year. Mm -hmm. So I have, you know, somewhat of a name in the industry. Um, but also, I'm, uh, you know, the company that I work for, the Bolus Company, it's, it's a, uh, it is the predominant commercial real estate company in Maine, and um, so the, the other folks, the other part of the company is, is constantly feeding me, feeding me work, or these, those are the fellas that are behind the deals, you know, before they become public, that are mm -hmm. out there that are working these things. So uh, because of that larger team that I'm involved with, I'm lucky enough to be brought into these things early on. Um, but it is, it's, you know, it's it's been a lot of fun. Um, and, you know, everything from, you know, building cheese plants and um, dairy barns up, up to Pineland to, you know, re 
uh, going, you know, basically renovating 19 buildings up there until the, you know, the beautiful campus that it is today to, as I said, Allagash Brewery and all of their, you know, expansions that continue to grow. The Thompson's Point Project, um, I'm right in the thick of that. There's a lot of very cool things that are going on down there. Um, uh, yeah, I could go on and on back. Can I interrupt? He's being modest. You know, Paul is a professional problem solver. You know, he calls himself a construction manager, but he's really a problem solver. And he's not telling you, but he has told me stories in the past. I won't mention particular names and projects, but there are many important projects that have occurred in Maine in the last, you know, 10, 20 years that would not have happened. You know, maybe they cost too much or they seemed impractical or whatever, but Paul was able to solve problems so that the construction costs came down or the environmental problems were solved or whatever it happens to be. Um, so, you know, there's somebody who can build a building and there's somebody who can both build a building and solve the problem. And so, you know, I think that you're really, really in a way, you're sort of problem solver in chief, <laughs> you know, on the on the job you know so a lot of those things have happened it's fun it's fun you know, you know I work with him. a very diverse group of people as I said earlier um, so it's 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 really a lot of fun to do projects are always changing clients are changing people are changing you know so it's you know every year I'm involved in you know a dozen new things and so it's fun now we talked at the beginning about the fact that you're, each of you has gone through some significant personal transitions, as we all do in our lives. How right. are you? How it's part are things, of being alive, right? It is part of being alive. You know, you and can't how avoid you things feeling, happen. How are you feeling about things now? Um, I'm feeling great. I, um, um, uh, my professional life is going well. You know, the books and you know all of that, and I have a terrific job teaching students at Boston University. Um, uh, I, I'm in a great relationship, um, and uh, you know my you know my home life is 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 excellent. Um, I have a wonderful wife, Irene. Um, so um, things things are good. Um, uh, you know I don't want to tempt fate, right? You know is there some wood here I can <laughs> can knock on. I'm knocking uh, on wood for you. you know, yes. Thank you. You know, life goes up and down, and uh, right now it's 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 good, thank God. And uh, you know, so I I appreciate all the people in my life. How about you, Paul? Yeah, I'm I'm sort of in a similar position too. You know, I was um, four or five years ago. I went through a divorce, and um, luckily it wasn't all that. Um, it wasn't that bad, um, but anyway, went through it and stuff. But you know, I am now living with a a lady in Cumberland, Becky. Give Becky a little bit of a plug, who's a wonderful lady, and um, she has two children. One just graduated college. One is now a, a sophomore in college. I have five children. Uh, they range in age from 27 to 35. Um, thank God they all have jobs and they're all self-supporting. I have uh, four grandchildren. I have a fifth grandchild on the way in September. And uh, so, you know, I love my grandchildren. I, you know, 
Um, you know, my oldest grandchild, Maddox, he's nine years old, so that's wonderful because he's old enough now that, if, you know, I want to take him out fishing or if we want to do things. He's of that age that you can really yeah, do a, something with him. That's a great them. age. Absolutely. So, um, so. So things are good. Yeah, things are and good. you know, uh, and I let me add because it's important. It's an important part of my life. Um, I have two children, uh, Adam and Elizabeth, and I'm both very proud of them. Um, they have charted their own life courses, very different, but they're both smart, creative, caring kids. Well, they're not kids anymore. They're in their 30s. They'll always be kids to me. So they are a treasure in my life. I wish they would come up to the cabin more often, <laughs> but definitely. In fact, we'll be seeing them soon. We're renting a cottage uh, here at Casco Bay for the week uh, in, in August, and uh, everybody will get together, and the kids will be there. All of the kids will be there. Correct. And so this is, you know, this is a great celebration. So in addition to writing books and building buildings and reconstructing your personal lives you've also built families that you continue to enjoy and it sounds like it's the best part of life really you know in the end when you're young at least for me when I was young it was you know there was a lot of ambition and um, uh, you know a sort of in a way saving myself but uh, as I get older um, you know that's really where the joy and the satisfaction is in in the relationships Luke, how can people find out about the books that you have written? Sure. Um, well, they're all on Amazon. If you Urenic, U R E N E C K, they're all of there. And uh, and the latest book, The Great Fire, uh, has its own website, SmyrnaFire.com. S M Y R N A Fire.com. And so, if you're interested in history. Um, uh, this is a, a book for you. If you're interested in reading a, a, a great story with lots of suspense, it's also a, a terrific book. So smyrnafire.com is the place to find out more. Pictures and explanations and the whole deal. And what's up? What's going to happen next for each of you? Since you've done all these amazing things, are there future cabins? Are there future buildings? Are there just enjoying the grandkids? Well, what do you have? You seem like you guys well, have so much energy. Well, that's actually a good question. And, you know, as we talk before about life as a series of passages. I will be uh, actually 62 this week, um, so I'm, you know, getting a little closer to, you know, thinking about retirement. By by retirement, I don't mean not where I mean slowing down. I don't mean just giving it up. So, so those are the thoughts that are going through my mind now, like say over the next three or four years, you know, how do I, how do I start restructuring my life so I'm not as crazy busy as I am now and mm -hmm. I can, you know, what I want to do say over the next 10, 15 years of my life. Hmm. And what does that look like? What do you, what do you feel gets you up in the morning every day? What do you feel passionate about? Well, I... I love to tinker with things, you know. So as I, as you know, as I look forward, uh, you know, I could, I could very, I, I, I do see myself staying in Maine, um, and but though, however, though, 
you know, getting out of Maine for maybe a month or two during the coldest part of the winters. <laughs> and, you know, who knows? Maybe going, you need another old pickup truck to, put, to right, take apart and right. put back you know, together, I don't right? Know whether it's, I don't know whether it's Restore going, an old vehicle. going to the Greek islands or going to Key West or whatever it is, but I do see myself getting out of here for a couple months during the dead of winter. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, but, you know, I'm very confident that I could keep myself busy, you know, tinkering with things and um, something else that I kind of gotten into this past summer is uh, is some gardening um, that um, I'm enjoying it because my tomato plants are huge. There's a lot of tomato plants on them. My lettuce was very successful. So I, I, said, I want some of those tomatoes. So, uh, so I'm having a lot of fun with that. Um, so between, I think, just, you know, fishing, hunting, I, I I have a Harley that um, that I get on a lot, and I just you know will take off for a day or two, little day trips, and um, so I love to ride in the summer, and actually I even love to ride more in the fall. Um, so I don't think there will be any shortage of <laughs> recreational activities to consume my time. Lou, one of the things that you are doing now is teaching. Mm-hmm. It's been a significant part of your life over the last few years. Right. Um, so I'm imagining at this point you are actively involved in the lives of young people and giving them advice for not only writing but living in general. Right. What advice would you give them to create mm. successful lives? Yeah. And Paula, I can ask you the same question because right. I'm sure you have right. your mm-hmm. own manner of teaching. Well, you know, a lot of things have happened in my life that were fully beyond anything that I thought was possible. You know, um, you know, I've been very fortunate. I've been, I've had books published. I've been invited, you know, to be a part of Harvard University. These are things that, for a kid growing up the way I grew up, seemed absolutely impossible. You know, they were beyond aspiration. So, um, think good things happen if you decide what it is you want. And you just sort of steadily, constantly, continually work your way toward it. Um, you know, build your life around your aspirations. And uh, astonishingly, at least in the in the case of my life, um, they come true. Uh, you know, I've had a lot of help along the way. There are people who've been given me good advice and directed me and given me a lift up and so forth. So I haven't done it on my own, that's for sure. But, um, you know, decide what it is you like and you love and what you want to do and and just keep doing it. You know, keep throwing yourself at it in whatever way you can find. You know, it may not be the perfect job initially, but if it's close to what you want to do, you're learning something. And then you meet somebody and that leads you to something else. And you're always sort of getting closer and closer. And pretty soon it happens and you can't quite believe it. I mean, I still can't quite believe these good things have happened to me. Um, And so I hope the the luck doesn't run out. You always want to keep knocking on wood. I can tell. Exactly, Every that's time you right. Say I'm like that, very too. suspicious. Life, you know, I've, I, life has also taught me that it's fragile. Uh, that you know, sometimes relationships don't last, and sometimes people you love go away, and and so there is a fragility to life that is always in my consciousness. Um, 
and I never forget that. But I'm also aware that a lot of good things can happen. How about you, Paul? What advice would you give to people who are um, creating their lives? I think when I reflect back on my life, I had my five children in a, in a span of six years. So it, it created a lot of responsibility on my, in my life at a very young age. I would encourage um, you know, younger folk to hold off on mm. starting a family mm. um, till they're earlier, at least to their early 30s. Um, and I would also encourage um, younger folks to take some risk. Hmm. And it's hard to take risk when you develop responsibilities too early in your life because, you know, you're worrying about how you're going to pay the mortgage, um, you know, how you're going to put food on the table, how you're going to do all these things. So it's very easily then to to fall into a routine in life. But I think if you can delay starting a family and take that risk, which I think is a lot of the younger folks that I work with now, um, I think that's a part of this generation is they're mm-hmm. not afraid to take risks. They're not afraid to fail at something and just move on. Um, that's what I would suggest is take some risk, delay starting a family, and um, and as Lou said, you know, pursue that which you really love. Give it a whirl. See what happens. Absolutely. If you fail, you right. fail. Right. You know, pick it up and move ahead. Right. Live your life. Well, I've really enjoyed spending time with the two of you. and um, This has been fun. Thank you. Yeah, it's Thank great you. to see the brother bond so <laughs> strong. Having I have five brothers and, I, and wow. four sisters. There's a lot, lot of us. And I can't say that I love too many more people in the world than my brothers and sisters. So to have the two of you mm. in front of me, I know, is really quite a privilege. Cause we're, this... Well, we're going to flip a coin on the way out of here to see who's better looking. <laughs> <laughs> Heads I win, tails you lose. <laughs> exactly. right. Well, maybe you could each be good looking in your own way. Oh, right? yeah, right. you're a diplomat. Yes, that's well, again, remember, nine brothers and sisters. That's right. right. <laughs> Got to so, work that out. Lou, tell me again what your websites are. SmyrnaFire.com is the principal one. And uh, much more information about what happened at Smyrna, the final episode of the, of the world's, the modern world's first genocide. Lots of pictures, documents, and so forth. Um, and Amazon.com is a place to buy any of the books. And of course, the Longfellow books, you know, local bookstores are important in the community. So uh, if you can get the Longfellow books, that's great. And people who are interested in the work that uh, Paul has been doing, you can go to the Winslow Homer Home Restoration, Backyard Farms, Thompson's Point. You go to the Bolus website to see what other yeah, projects are available exactly. there. Um, it's really been a pleasure, and thank you so much for sharing so much of yourselves in, in the book that you wrote, Lou, and also in the conversation that we had today. We've been speaking with Paul and Lou Urenic, uh, two main individuals who have been writing books, building cabins, building developments, enjoying building families. Um, it's, really been, it's really been a privilege to have you here today. Thank Thank you. you. You've been listening to Love Mean Radio, show number 207, Cabin Building and Brotherly Love. Our guests have included Lou and Paul Urenic. For more information on our guests and extended interviews, 
visit lovemainradio.com. Love Main Radio is downloadable for free on iTunes. For a preview of each week's show, sign up for our e-newsletter and like our Love Main Radio Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter as Dr. Lisa and see my running travel food and wellness photos as Bountiful One on Instagram. We love to hear from you, so please let us know what you think of Love Main Radio. We welcome your suggestions for future shows. Also, let our sponsors know that you have heard about them here. We are privileged that they enable us to bring Love Main Radio to you each week. This is Dr. Lisa Belial. I hope that you have enjoyed our cabin building and brotherly love show. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day. May you have a bountiful life. Love Maine Radio is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Apothecary by Design, Mac Page, and Berlin City Honda of Portland. Love Maine Radio is recorded in the studio of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Our executive producers are Susan Grisanti, Kevin Thomas, and Dr. Lisa Belisle. Audio production and original music by John C. McCain. Our content producer is Kelly Clinton. Love Maine Radio is available for download free on iTunes. See www.lovemainradio.com or the Love Maine Radio Facebook page for details. Possible with the support of the following generous sponsors Maine Magazine, Apothecary by Design, Mac Page, and Berlin City Honda of Portland. Love Maine Radio is recorded in the studio of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Our executive producers are Susan Grisanti, Kevin Thomas, and Dr. Lisa Belisle. Audio production and original music by John C. McCain. Our content producer is Kelly Clinton. Love Maine Radio is available for download free on iTunes. See www.lovemainradio.com or the Love Maine Radio Facebook page for details.